created live on Fireside. Welcome. I'm Lori Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you can be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. I am your host, Lori Lee Binstock. You know, this is a great opportunity to ask questions, um, ask me or guest questions. So please request to hop on stage, and I will definitely try to get to you. Our show today, we are actually talking about trauma and substance abuse. And my guest is Amy Guerrero. Amy is a trauma-informed recovery coach, conscious sober person, and founder of Thrive in Recovery, a coaching practice developed for sober people to heal their trauma, find success, and create healthy relationships with people, money, and themselves. Amy created Thrive in Recovery to provide her clients with a one-on-one personalized approach to sober living tailored for their specific needs, desires, and goals. Recently, Amy launched Bridge to Trust, a complimentary three-day interactive experience designed for recovering humans and their loved ones to repair relationships, heal dysfunctional family dynamics, and experience a deeper connection. Amy, thank you so much for joining me. Yes, it's so great to be here. Thank you. This is so fun. And it's so fun to listen to like even just the progression of where Thrive and Recovery has gone. As you were stating that, I'm like, wow, in 2022, I'm really going to be serving people on larger scales and more groups. And so it's just really nice to have that reflected back to me of like, oh, this stuff really works, you know, and it's so exciting. Yeah, I feel like it's changed a lot. Um but you know, first, I, I mean, what is what is a conscious sober person? I, I was <laughs> reading that. I'm like, what is a conscious sober person? Yeah, it's a great question, and that I get asked often. And it's actually like the whole premise of my consciousness of the way that I live now. Um, when I first became chem- chemically dependent on alcohol, I was completely like what? (laughs) What do I do now? And it was not something that I, um, you know, planned on when I went on this journey to heal my trauma. I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to use alcohol so much that I become chemically dependent on it. And when I did, I wasn't, I didn't feel safe in the solutions of how to live a sober lifestyle because I didn't feel like I was going to be able to actually do it if I didn't really embody what I what I felt would be the best approach for me. And that's where consciousness really came in. That's when I when I started to look at all the tools that I already had in my life as at that point I'd been practicing yoga for over 15 over 15 years. I had been, you know, studying nutrition and the microbiome and the gut and I had all of these different tools where I knew that the I knew about the vagus nerve, I knew that trauma was deeply rooted in the body. And I wanted to find a way where I could literally show up consciously, as conscious as possible, imperfectly, moment to moment to move through life. So it wasn't about staying sober one day at a time, because I wa- I didn't feel like the alcohol, I didn't want it to have that much control over me, 
or the drugs to have that much control over me. And so consciousness to me is like, how can I be conscious of all of my patterns, all of my behaviors, consistently curious about the way that I live so that I can actually like meet myself where I'm at and meet the world where it's at through different patterns, choosing differently. Because the way that I was choosing, I was coping so much. And now with consciousness, it's like, hmm, I'm not coping as much. I'm actually moving through the world in a way of like, this feels good to me. And I'm embodied. I'm here. I'm not dissociated. I'm actually here. I'm not trying to numb out and disappear from the world anymore. Right. Well, you know, I find that trauma survivor thrivers are the ones who have survived trauma and found their purpose. You are what I would call a trauma survivor thriver. But I'd love to, I'd love for you to share your story with our audience. Yeah, thank you. Um, You know, the story started when I was just a little in utero baby. Um, You know, my my birth mom was not in a place, and I don't think my dad either, was in a place where it was, you know, a part of their plan to have children. And, um, and I, from that place, where I was born into a lot of dysregulation, a lot of, you know, not knowing, um, my body became dysregulated right away. And um, that is so common. And I and I feel like it's important to talk about because we we forget about our birth, you know, our birth experience and what happened early on. And I wasn't breastfed. I wasn't, my mom wasn't really around, you know, like I didn't get to have that experience of having my mom raise me, which so many people have this. And we forget that our nervous systems are being patterned that young. And um, the way it showed up for me, Lorley, is that I was constipated, like while still in diapers. And um, that's, it, it was such a big part of my story, because it was something that I felt cursed with, when really, it was just that my nervous system didn't know how to cope in a healthy way. And so it really struggled with rest and relaxation, therefore pooping, right? (laughs) And again, we can overlook this stuff so easily and make it wrong when it's like, oh, wait, no, this is actually a function of the nervous system protecting me. It's not safe to relax that much. So, yeah, I mean, from there, I started looking outside of myself to cope right? Like, mm-hmm. in all the subtle ways. Yeah, that's interesting that you talk about your birth story, because that, that that's something that I actually discovered myself. You know, my mom had me actually very late. She was, well, actually, not, nowadays, it's not, but she had me about almost 10 years after she's, she had my brother. And they weren't planning on having kids. And she didn't want any, another child, like they actually were struggling with it. And then even when I was born, like even my birth picture, they used to always make fun of my birth picture. Like, oh my gosh, she's such an ugly baby. And even when I was older, they'd be like, oh my gosh, remember that one picture, baby picture when you were born? God, you were such an ugly baby. And, you know, I I worked with my trauma therapist and she was just like, that, that, you know, even though you don't hear those words when you are an infant, you can sense that energy that's coming to you. And it does dysregulate your nervous system. Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have memories 
um, my nickname when I was growing up was Fatso Pig um, oh because I was a chubby baby. But that actually, until I chose consciousness at this level, did I push back and say, you know what? Like, let's stop calling me that, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm just going to mute myself for a second. Yeah, go for it. And I do want to say, like, I think we forget, like, we are absorbing other people's energies around us. And I think that it's like when you walk into a room and everyone, it's like you walk into a funeral home, right? And you go and it's just so somber and you're like, oh, this is a really difficult room to be in. And it, and it is because probably people's energies are just out there and you're just, you you can sense that. And I think we fail to to really understand mm. that. And then how how it how it affects us as children when we, you know, even though like, you know, my parents would make fun of me all the time about being such an ugly baby. I really took that on. I like took took that on for God knows how long. Like I was always insecure and just I I I just had a really hard time really understanding. Like, okay, that was just them being funny or, you know, that was them just being jerks. But they 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 create these ideas in your head. Absolutely. Well, and it gets coded on your nervous system. And mm-hmm. it literally gets coded where, you know, you're an ugly baby, or I'm fat, and I look like a boy. <laughs> and my mom doesn't love me. And, or, you know, like, these, we just get all of these things coded on us. And it is energetic. You know, mm-hmm. like, I think that that's one of the things that's so misunderstood about the trauma spaces is that, you know, 80% of what we're taking in through the world is through our body. Right right? Like neuroception is real. And then what we do with it after we feel it is basically the work that I do in the world. It's like, oh, wait, we've, I've coded this as I'm wrong. I'm bad. I don't deserve to take up space in this world. Mm-hmm. But really it was like the other humans having their own difficulty and, and trauma, you know, responses to life. And it had very little to do with me. So can I regroove? Can I rewire that story? And just to come back to that first question, that's consciousness to me. That's yeah. like, oh, wait, I just felt something intensely in my body. I don't, first, it might not be mine. But mm-hmm. suddenly a, a memory's gotten triggered. And am I willing to sit with this for a moment or come back to it later? Instead of moving past it, numbing it, or, you know, trying to pretend dissociating from it, really. Right, right. Sometimes yeah. the only thing you the only thing that you think will, will make it go away is alcohol, or any type of substances, or even any maladaptive behavior. Oh. Yeah, I mean, we're taught that in the world, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we, it, we're taught that if it's too intense, make it go away. Right, right. And that's what I think has been so interesting about COVID. Um, And I'll get back to my story. We can kind of weave it in and out of here. But, you know, with COVID, it's like we cannot deny that something's going on. Something's going on. Like, I don't know exactly what it is, but something's happening. And and so from this place, like, there's been so much escape. Like, make Mm -hmm. it go away. Make it go away. And, you know, we've seen a lot of patterns and behaviors come up through this last two years of our lives because, there's not there's no way for us to control it. Yeah. And not being able to control something is scary. It really is. The nervous system. 
And so like, I have so much compassion for myself and for anyone who chooses to escape with any kind of behavior, whether it's sugar or not eating or, you know, behaviors like, you know, gaming or um, porn and then alcohol and drugs, like, are people. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just so many different ways to escape in the world. And, and it is really my thought and my feeling and my knowing that it all comes from dysregulation in the nervous system. Right. You know, you've been through multiple rehab centers, you, but you didn't seem to find them effective. Why and what changed? Yeah. I think that, you know, I love, I, I love looking at what you're doing and I love like everything about like the magazine article that we, I had the honor of writing with you and everything because there is a paradigm shift happening and it's such a delight to, to be here now. But seven years ago, these conversations were not being had as much. Mm-hmm. And um, the treatment, the, the alcohol and drug rehabilitation is very much based in 12-step. And all they, although that you know, they market on their beautiful websites that they have trauma work. They didn't really have that, and so over and over and over again, the answer was like, "Okay, stay here for thirty to forty-five days, do all this stuff, go to group every day, and then go to twelve step." And I'm like, "Wait, hold on, <laughs> like the 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 integration." The, the nervous system work, the habits, the behaviors, all of those things, um, that's what's going to make this a way of life, right? Like going to a retreat for 30 days and getting, you know, being abstinent from the substance does not change the, the biochemistry and the neural pathways of what's been happening for, in my case, like 37 years or, you know, and beyond ancestrally. Yes, there's abstinence from the substance, but then there's like this whole integration model mm-hmm. that I think is just really overlooked in specifically any kind of recovery space, right? You know, right. even plant medicine where it's like, I totally believe in it and, and practice it, but it's like integration afterwards right. is the magic. That's the magic. And yeah. and I, I just in 2014 is when I started to have the idea for my business because although I worked the steps and did all the things that I was supposed to do, I was doing it out of this like good girlness, which was one of my original incidents, which is one of the pathways that doesn't work for me. Like don't do something to be a good girl, Mm -hmm. do it because you feel it and you embody it. And And you want it for yourself. Exactly. And it's a deep trust and knowing of like, mm, this feels good to me. And I was so determined to create that. I'm like, if you're going to take away my favorite coping mechanism, <laughs> which was definitely alcohol, you know, I did all the things that alcohol was like, you know, I had wine every day for many, many, many years. And um, I was like, I'm going to have to really like my life. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. have to really, like, really like my life because I couldn't imagine a world without that beverage around me. And, you know, my life is so different now. I, I don't, I'm not ever mad at alcohol because it was, the treatment centers did the best they could with the training that they had. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and remember, treatment centers are just full of nervous systems. <laughs> right. When I look around at the nervous systems that worked in the treatment centers, they were pretty dysregulated. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> and from that place, the dysfunction, you know, even the last place that I was at, oh my goodness, it was so dysfunctional. And uh, the owner was like going through something and like texted the clients. And I mean, it was just like a big mess. But I was able to keep my head in the sand and I had already started my business and I was just like, you know, living and sober living there. And I was just like, whatever, I get to witness this. And so it helps me see more of what's going on so I can not do that in my practice. Yeah, you did talk, you you talk about um, somatic experiencing or SE to healing the wounds of emotional and early developmental attachment trauma. You know, I actually discovered SE while I was in residential treatment and I had never heard about it before, but it absolutely changed my life. How Mm. did you discover somatic experiencing and how did it help you? Yeah, it's so beautiful because I get to be a practitioner now of somatic experiencing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And, um, so I was introduced to it in college in the 90s in Austin, Texas. Oh, my goodness. And yeah, shortly before I found the yoga mat. Um, so I was introduced to it then, and I I had it in the back of my head. And I think I got a lot of that um, experiencing through my relationship with the yoga mat. And so I was just, I knew like I knew that it was my body that had the answers. It was my body that had, that knew how to release things. Um, And so it was very, it was a very simple concept that I, that I understood of like, hey, this isn't all in my head. Right. This is in my body. But again, like it wasn't in the early night, well, the late 90s, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really talked about. I didn't know to go find a practitioner and do the things. So I didn't even I know they in, had practitioners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like, I know that Dr. Levine and um, Dr. Heller were already working together at that time. And um, one of my body workers introduced it to me. And then I found Bikram yoga, like literally a month later. And um, I feel like that was a big pivotal moment for me because finding yoga that young really supported me to to probably, you know, not be suicidal sooner than I was. Um, mm. because I had like a very strong practice. That yoga mat and like me being in that room was so important. Like I would I would do anything to make sure that I got into that room. Um and so I can see now, you know, it was just like that was that was a big part of my growing experience and uh and a very healing experience. But I still chose <laughs> alcohol and drugs because they work much faster you know right yeah Yeah. I had uh, when I was in treatment and we would have the we would have somatic experiencing group and I remember specifically um there was one patient there one client there who um it was like when, when they were giving us the whole like the whole idea of somatic experiencing where like our nervous system just kind of goes into overdrive and until we are able to release that energy out of our nervous system it's kind of stuck in there and how our nervous system becomes dysregulated by certain events 
Um, and I think it, they they use this um, metaphor of the the lion and the the zebra, and mm. there was. And I think um, Dr. Levine also talks about in his book. But the the animal is able to if the animal is able to escape the lion, that's a pretty traumatic traumatic experience. But they're also able to shake and feel it and let it go. Whereas yep. us as humans like to keep it in and hold it tight and just we're just like, okay, I'm just going to pretend everything is okay. But that the problem there is that's when that energy is stuck into your in your body. Well, when he was describing it, there was this client who said who it was like a light bulb went off. Like I just saw mm. his light bulb go off. It, just, it was like this is why. I became an alcoholic pretty much mm. because he was actually, he was there for trauma at the time that I was there. But before then, a year before he was at Betty Ford and he, um, he finally realized like it was his trauma. He, he realized that there was an experience that he had where he was understanding he was coping with alcohol whenever he would get that feeling again, that feeling mm. of hopelessness. Um, and it was really, really interesting to me. And I was like, okay, I need to learn more about the somatic. I think that was my first somatic experiencing um, class. And mm. I was just like, I need to know more. And the more I learned, the more I realized, like, I just needed to feel my feelings because I was always told never to feel my feelings. <laughs> right? Like, I yeah. think that's exactly what we're all told. Um, you know, I, I always say that recovery is not linear. You know, oh, once you no. <laughs> right, like, no. like it's so uh, far from linear. I mean, even that man's experience of like, oh, I was drinking all of those years to cope. So he had like a whole nother level of integration in that moment that you got to witness. That's so beautiful. It was it was incredible. It was really it just made me want to work work and and just figure out what was what's going on with me. Um, yeah, it was a very beautiful thing to see, and I think that's the beauty of somatic experience, just the knowledge, I think, just the knowledge that you are supposed to feel your feelings and not kind of not hide from them is helpful in and of itself. Absolutely. And when we when we're able to give it this language, it takes the shame out of the behavior. Mm -hmm. Right? It it takes the I am bad because I responded to the world in this way with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, with whatever. Like, oh wait, I wasn't able to cope any other way. And my body had all these incomplete responses because I didn't shake like the dog. I didn't mm -hmm. shake like the zebra. I, I, I stuffed it down. And how many of our listeners, right, that are listening right now or later, like how many of you stuff your feelings down? How many of you like swallow it? Mm -hmm. instead of feeling it and all of those little subtle things that we're doing are storing unmet needs painful events words like you know you're an ugly baby mm -hmm. um, and it's all getting stored in the coding of our bodies and of course that's going to create a thought process right. and then of course that's going to create a behavior and then, of course, that's going to make us want to soothe the behavior. And then, you know, that then here and goes that what my clients often call like a merry-go-round 
It's like, right. oh, I'm just on this merry-go-round. I just keep going in the same directions. And it's always the same activation in the body. But until we slow down and like go, oh, shit, something's happening in here, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's why I say the yoga mat was such a teacher because for 90 minutes every day for, you know, a 15 plus years, um, I felt a lot. And I always left going, oh, I just know so much more about my body now. But I didn't have a mentor or a teacher or a guide going, okay, <laughs> like, let's release this. Mm-hmm. It was like I still held it in isolation. And I think that so many of us that have especially experienced um, a lot of emotional complex trauma, mm-hmm. which could be something as simple as you are an ugly baby. Right. Um. We hold it in isolation because we feel like, who am I to say I have trauma? Because other people's traumas are so much bigger. And it's like, no, that's the, you are absolutely taking up space in this world and you are allowed to have whatever experience you're having. And there's just absolutely no reason to compare it to someone else's, but we're just conditioned so much differently to stuff it down. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people are like, there's nothing wrong with me because this person had it worse and they're doing just fine. First of all, we don't know what they're doing. (laughs) We don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You just see them and you're like, you just assume. But um, I think we need to stop comparing each other's traumas because, you know, it it just, it's relative to them. And, And it's really, it's really hard to to because that was me I was like well yeah I was abused I was sexually abused as a child but look at this person they actually went gotten this horrific car accident and they went through all this trauma and yada 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 but yes they're it's as terrible as that is and even though it seems like they're coping really well you know it doesn't invalidate what happened to me and you know, for so long, I didn't realize like, oh, me taking drugs or me having sex or me doing whatever, whenever I wanted to, I didn't realize that was, I was just coping. I had no clue. It was like my, my, it was just mind blowing after I read um, The Body Keeps the Score. And it was like, oh, these were just symptoms of my PTSD, my trauma. And so I think we all need to learn that if we've experienced something, if we're being super reactive, there's something there. There's something there. And that's, and it's something to explore. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's, it's all about the curiosity. And that's what I love about all trauma modalities is that we get to get curious. And, you know, the old patterning is always going to tell us to judge it. You did it mm-hmm. wrong. It's not as bad as someone else's or, you know, who am I to blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, great that's happening. And that's why having a a guide is so helpful because the guide will be like, Oh no, that is your experience. And you are the only person living in your body. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the most important experience right there because every, you know, every way that I saw the world was through the lens of everyone is about to leave me. If I do one wrong thing, I'm going to be left And like, I was just constantly in a state of trying to prove myself and not be left. Like my nervous system was so high frequency 
on that, that fight or flight all the time. Cause I was just waiting for someone to walk away. And I like, I lived into that abandonment wound over and over and over again in my life and every relationship with alcohol right like part of the reason it was so hard to give that up is because it had been the Bikram yoga and alcohol were the strongest relationships that I had in my life and when I was like oh shit I gotta I actually ended up like changing my yoga practice significantly when I chose consciousness as well and I, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of parting ways with these two things that I used for so long to cope with my yucky feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I do want to discuss family dynamics before, after relationships. Um, but first, I do have to take a minute to give a shout okay. out to our sponsor for this week's show, Pair Networks. If you have a business, you need a website. And what's the best way to get a website up and running? Choose a website hosting company that makes it simple like Pair Networks. Pair has over 20 years of experience managing the entire digital ecosystem for thousands of online businesses all around the world. Pair makes it easy for you with do-it-yourself website building tools and features, including simple drag and drop page design. And they have guaranteed US-based support technicians ready to help you whenever you need it, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Right now, when you sign up with Pair Networks, you'll receive one free month of web hosting and see for yourself how easy it is to build your website for free. Visit Pair.com slash free to get your first month of web hosting for free by using the code QUICKSTART. That's Pair.com slash free promo code QUICKSTART to get started today and be on the lookout for a new revamped website for a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast coming soon. Now I do want to get back into family dynamics and when it comes to, to healing and finding, mm. you know, because it, it can it, it is difficult, you know, as a trauma survivor yourself. It for me, it took pretty much an ultimatum by my husband to get me into treatment because I was like, I don't deserve treatment. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing, you know, nothing's going to work. I've been to therapy or whatever weekly for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Um, but someone, like I said, who's experienced trauma survivors can be self-sabotaging and reactive in, in ways that it's so difficult for loved ones to kind of stick around and really know what to do to help. How mm-hmm. do you repair these family systems? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so loaded. A, well, I mean, it's a beautiful question. I The Bridge to Trust turned into a group coaching program that I have been running called Recover the Trust. And we're in month um, four right now. And it's so beautiful. This has been probably one of the more powerful groups. I'm just, every week, I'm just like, oh my gosh, because we're really getting to the root of family systems and how they operate. And the truth is, is when you decide that you're going to heal and and you make this decision, so that you're out there listening and you're like, all right, I'm doing this thing. I'm getting the support I need. And no one else in your family system is learning the tools that you're learning. The nervous system, when you go back into your family system, is going to feel a tremendous amount of fear. Mm -hmm. And it's going to, because it's the easier pathway, it will revert back to old patterns and behaviors. And so again, I want to take any, like, no one's doing it wrong. Like the family system's not doing it wrong. The person who's reintegrating into the family system isn't doing it wrong. It's just like, 
it's speaking a different language and the nervous system's just like, okay, let me just go back to the way it was because that's easier and I know how to do this. What I don't know how to do is really hold a boundary. What I don't know how to do is ask for, you know, scheduled meetings every week. What I don't know how to do is tell my truth, right? What I don't know how to do is maybe separate and part ways with some people. And all of these things are part of the integration. And it does, it, you know, it feels like a burden to be the one who's learned the tools because in a, in a way you become the guide mm-hmm. or the teacher. But here's the thing that we do in our family systems, instead of being the guide or the teacher, we become the rescuer or the hero or the victim or the persecutor. Mm-hmm. And to really integrate, it takes, it takes some effort. It takes, it takes a lot of it. Of, <laughs> yeah. Of being like, I'm going to challenge you in a healthy way. I'm going to create a new space for us to connect in. And it's going to be uncomfortable because our old patterns want to, you know, sit down on the couch, you know, partner opens a beer because they've been drinking with you for so long. New person's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, oh, shoot, I forgot you just drink. Like, well, whatever, let's just watch Netflix and have sex because that's what we used to do. Well, no, <laughs> that's probably <laughs> not going to work. Right. And so everything has changed and really what I think is the most helpful thing to actually make this change is, is to start talking about the, the nervous system, t- start talking about the feelings, take any of the shame or blame of anyone out of it and get some support because, you know, we've worked in our family systems in a certain way for a long time. And without support, you automatically will fall back into old patterns. We all do. That's mm-hmm. to be human, right? So I think a big part of it is to, to just listen to conversations like this and be like, oh, oh, we everyone expected me to be fine. I remember when I got out of treatment, they're like, are you fixed? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like, I don't I am so I am so much more confused than I was when I got here. And I can't use alcohol to numb. So no, I'm not fixed. And it's a 12 step meeting is not going to change my nervous system. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think what was great. So I went to treatment at Sierra Tucson in Arizona and they were fantastic. Somatic experiencing was such a big part of it. Um, but what I really loved was that there was a family week and I don't know, I haven't, I haven't been to a ton of um, centers where, um, where, you know, I, I, so I don't know what their programming is like, but they had programming for my husband, for mm. my husband to go out there to kind of have, it was like three, four days where he went out there. He did pretty much the same programming that I did, but also learned how to, how to help me integrate back into, you know, the family. Cause like you said, it is difficult. Like I was terrified for like days before leaving. I was there for 31 days. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to leave. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to leave. Like I, I feel so safe here. This is the safest I've ever felt in my entire life. I don't want to leave. And there's a chance that I'm going to get out of here. And then 
you know, I'm everything's going to be, you know, my kids are going to keep yelling at me. My, my husband's going to keep like being disappointed in everything I do. And I'm just going to be disappointed in myself. And then I'm going to go back and, you know, it's, but when they really, really worked with him Mm. in his own groups and then like together with me and it was, that was really helpful. He actually found so much value in that. And, mm. and he did. And every time I thought he was reverting back to old, old behaviors that were so unhealthy for me, I'd be like, remember what we talked about? Remember, you know, at least then it, it was like he was able to even try. And, you know, it's not perfect, but it is so much better than it was three years ago. So I, I am wow. grateful. Like you said, integration for pretty much anything is extremely important. That's the only thing that keeps you from completely reverting back. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like you talked about, like even plant medicine, like Mm -hmm. it, it does change the pathways to your brain, in your brain, but the integration is still so important there. Right. Because then you're just having a 31 day experience or, a, you know, four hour experience on psilocybin or, you know, you know, three day ayahuasca experience. Like that's just the experience. Like what we do when the neural pathways are opened, when the new communication styles are available to us and making it a way of life is what, you know, Thrive and Recovery is all about. It's like, wait, yeah, like that experience was amazing. So glad we did that. And now how do we continue to create the the patterns and behaviors to make that what I call the super highway of thoughts Mm -hmm. rather than just this one and done experience. Cause we can all have an amazing experience or an aha moment, but I wanted to have an aha life. And Laura Lee, like when I hear you talk about your husband and his willingness, my heart just was like busting open everywhere (laughs) because you know, it's like, that's not always the case. Yeah, and a lot of times, yeah, I mean, it's so beautiful. (laughs) Like a lot of times, it's you're the problem. Go get fixed, and when you come back, I don't want to hear anything about it. And so, for those of you that are listening, that have that experience, you know, I get it, and it's real. And in those cases, you know, that's when the real hard decisions come on. Of like, am I going to be able to really thrive? in this environment and then that's when everything gets even harder because the nervous system's faced with this decision of like am i going to leave everything that was comfortable for me in order to live a more conscious lifestyle and often very often that is what someone is faced with and Mm -hmm. often very often it will lead to going back to the old coping mechanism and coping mechanisms and behaviors because it's too scary to change everything. And, you know, that's where I see the, the people that go to treatment 17 to 27 times, like their nervous system feels so much safer in treatment that they do things to get back in treatment. And if you mm-hmm. really, I started, my, my practice started with working with people that were still in treatment and, uh, and when I would ask the, the question, because you just, you know, I connected so deeply with these folks and they would tell me the truth. They're like, oh, yeah, 
I'm here because I want to be here because this is the only safe place. And the only way I can come back is if I relapse. And my parents have plenty of money. So whatever. Until that it's laced with fentanyl, right? And then they're not here anymore. Like there's, just, it's so complex. Yeah. And um, this integration that we're talking about, it's such a good question. We could have a podcast just simply just on, on integration. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do want to, I, I, you did say something interesting. Like the, there are those people who say, okay, you're back from treatment. I expect everything to be how I wanted it to be. What do you say to those people? How, how do you give them realistic expectations? To the, to the to person. To the loved ones. Not, yeah. Um, I yeah, mean, we'll, we'll get question. to the, the person themselves, but I think it's, it's interesting because I don't know, I don't think my husband had the support except for when he went to Sierra Tucson and then he learned it was like, it was just eye opening for him, which I think was great. But what do you say to those, you know, husbands and wives who have, who have these expectations that their spouse is going to come back and be better? Yeah. Well, I don't really, I, I invite them into a conversation. Um, I create a lot of safety for their nervous system to be willing to be wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because from that place, the only way that when I met with that, the, you know, I, I was met with that not too long ago and she was like, it's his problem. It's his problem. It's his problem. If he fixes that, then everything will be okay. Completely unwilling to look at herself. Right. Mm-hmm. 100% unwilling to look at herself. And as I invited her into conversation several different times, absolutely not going in there. Um, and in that case, right there was no, there was, she was not taking any invitation to, for it to be different. There was, she was not willing to change anything in order for that relationship to work. And then I just asked the question, like, how long has this been really, this relationship been over for you? Mm. Right. Because that deeper question has nothing to do. It was just like, in this case, like she was decided that she was leaving 10 years ago. And that truth ended up surfacing, but, you know, hanging in that tension with someone is something that a lot of practitioners maybe forget, right? That there's always something underneath that's driving the behavior of like, I don't want to change because change is hard. Yeah, really. But there's also just truth underneath that too of like, not only is change hard, but I'm not being really honest. Like, I haven't been happy in this relationship for a long time. And I think that, you know, like the subtleties of how those, you know, conversations went for 10 years, and then the drinking or the escaping, and just all of those patterns and behaviors that were created just from an unwillingness to tell the truth 10 years ago. And, you know, I think that that's so often what's happening is that there was, there, there is always something deeper going on. And then for the, for the people that are a little more malleable than, than that situation, it's just like, all right, like, are you willing to learn new tools? Are you willing to, um, 
are you willing to be part of this journey with that person? And the first thing that they'll say is like, I don't, I don't need this. They do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the invitation into like, well, how does that feel? Right. It's just always getting curious. How does it feel for it to only be their problem? Like, tell me about that. And then when they start talking about their own feelings, they're like, oh, shoot, I actually, <laughs> I actually have a lot going on. Right? right. And again, it's easier to make someone, it's easier to persecute or save someone than it is to own your own nervous system. And, you know, a big part of my work is like really stepping out of that, those, those roles that we play in the family system and choosing to step into you know, playing more empowering roles. Right. Wow. It is, it is tough. It's tough to integrate, but, and just, you really have to change the neural pathways in your brain to get to where you need to go. And that, that in itself is not easy. It's just so much more simpler to just revert back. Um, and, and, with your comment earlier about plant medicine, you know, people do see plant medicine, psilocybin, you know, mushrooms, ayahuasca, they see it as, oh, it's just another drug. What have, did you, did you seek out plant medicine for recovery from substance abuse? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, two, twofold, right. Um, when I found MDMA, like in college, I had already like discovered all the therapeutic benefits of it, Um, kind of creating my own little like therapeutic experiences out of it, Mm -hmm. but had no consciousness that I was, you know, but I mean, we could go really deep together and I had all these different rooms set up. So I understood that there could be therapeutic value to, to, to hallucinogens and to um, MDMA. And I experienced with, or I experimented with them. And then in con- in sobriety, when I chose to stop using drugs and alcohol in ways that no longer served me, um, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, I was like, how can I now use these beautiful modalities, you know, in, a, in an environment to go deeper, to understand my processes more, to to maybe bring some things that are still unconscious to me into the consciousness and then integrate them. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's that part of the journey is just so expansive. And, uh, and I want to be really clear, like, you know, people in there to, to do this with a friend is not doing this, right? Like we're (laughs) doing drinking and exactly. And soaking, you know, gobs of cigarettes and doing it for three days straight. Like that's not what we're talking about here. This is like very beautiful ceremony, intentional experience that um, should be done with, you know, someone who knows what they're doing, a shaman or a practitioner um, and, you know, in our lifetime, Laura Lee, we're, especially your children's lifetime, you know, we're going to see this come to the forefront mm-hmm. as a yeah. way to support PTSD and, um, and all of the things. And it's going to be so beautiful. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge advocate for psychedelic assisted therapy. You know, 
like you said, when I was in high school, I just, you know, I just took took all the drugs because I was also coping. But I, I do remember taking mushrooms and it was a really bad trip. And it actually, the trip actually, and I, 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 I don't think I ever told my friends this because I think I hold my, held, I was just in a room by myself. Hmm. And the mushrooms were basically showing me my abuse. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to see this. And I was like, this is the worst trip ever. And then, you know, when I got older, I realized like, oh, I'm that was it was telling me that I needed to heal this part of me so I can move forward. Um, But obviously I did it as a kid and had no idea. Um, But now um, knowing that I've done I've done MDMA and psilocybin in a therapeutic setting and it yeah. has been helpful and since i have been this advocate i've had podcasts about psychedelic my own personal psychedelic experience um and it was interesting because one of my former guests reached out to me and said oh i want to learn more about this you know psychedelic psychedelic assisted therapy and how it actually you know helps with substance abuse but mm-hmm. if i have like a sponsor and then i say i want to do like this in a assisted therapy, like, would he, he was all, he asked me like, would, would that be me? Like going out of my sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, yeah. I mean, listen, I am an advocate for every type of recovery, 100%. Um, And I, the, the rigidity of some of these older types of systems, right. Are that a lot of the stuff didn't exist. Bill W did acid. Mm-hmm. You know, like a few years into his sobriety, Bill W went and started experiencing with acid, right? Like, you know, the this is where people, nervous systems, if we start to give someone like our sponsors, the or therapists, or our teachers, or our husbands, or whoever it is, the power to control our decisions in that way, then there's something deeper to look at there. Right. Because mm-hmm. only you can decide if you're, quote unquote, breaking your sobriety. And what does that even mean? I don't I don't know. Right. Like, that's just something we made up. Yeah. And 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 if I you know to me, like <laughs> if I'm like eating unconsciously, I'm like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> why, how did I just eat this like, you know, whole thing without even being here? There's something going on there. So someone who's choosing sobriety, they know when they're doing it to to get high to escape. And they know when they're doing it. And you don't have to justify, in my opinion, you don't have to justify that to anyone. And if you feel like you do, there's layers of deeper work to do around trusting yourself. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, because I, I and I and, and and Bill W. I do want to go back. It's and he he's the one who founded AA. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is the person who founded AA and used LSD as a way to, um, you know, it, it, to it help his sobriety and obviously yeah, to work. open and then, up new pathways. Right. Yeah. You know, and and I think that. Um, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we we reveal how amazing and and helpful these drugs are. Because I, you know, I I took after my first MDMA session, 
I got off my antidepressants. After my mm, second, yeah, I got yeah. off my stimulants. And now I have, I'm not on any medication when I was on like several. And so I think that, you know, that that's a, I wasn't, I, I wasn't dependent on it. I feel like that's, that's also another false, um, falsehood is that, you know, it is a drug and you can be dependent on psilocybin i don't know anyone who wants to do mushrooms all the time yeah like micro dosing in itself is because you still take a few days off and you do it in a controlled way and you have accountability and no one wants to do that every day it's a lot you've got to have time to process what happens exactly it's and 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 again integration Exactly. Like you have to give the nervous system time to to understand that the new pathway is there. And this is where, you know, listening to podcasts like this and and reading your magazine and having a coach or or someone who's really willing to meet you where you're, you're at and stay curious with you is so important to integration. Because if you're afraid you're going to get in trouble by your whoever your accountability person well that's not a that's not a safe relationship mm-hmm. it's just not and safety is everything you know i mean safety is absolutely everything right and i'm sure like i, I hear your experience was just so beautiful in treatment and i hope that one day like that's the way that the world is right that we that every treatment center is held to the accountability that this beautiful place in Arizona that you were at is held to because, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that places like that place, but that's what they want to advocate for as well. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I, I had to go somewhere else for integration or a partial hospitalization kind of step down and it was nothing like that. Luckily I felt somewhat, I felt somewhat grounded in, in the tools that I was given in Arizona where I felt like I was just kind of going to this place because this was just the next step. There were there were some helpful things, but it just wasn't really trauma informed. And, you know, luckily, I, I felt like I had a lot in my reserve and a lot in my toolbox to be able to cope. Um well, and something that I just want to say one thing about that because mm-hmm. if you are listening right now and you're leaving treatment or you've, you're no, you, you have your family member of someone, like um, it, reminding and empowering the person that they get to hold, like hold their hold their pose, stand their ground, speak up for themselves, like learning to advocate for yourself and your needs when you leave is key to a successful life and thriving. And um, you'll shake in your boots a little bit (laughs) or your cute little flip flops. (laughs) But what I hear from you is that like, you know, you had these tools and you held your pose and that's why you were able to go to this place that wasn't trauma informed. And same with me, right? Like, you know, I stayed in, I was such a good patient that people kept saying like, well, we'll offer you this for free and we'll offer you this for free. And I was like, great, (laughs) I will do it. I will take all of your resources. Mm -hmm. I will probably not go to your groups because I don't believe in the way that you teach, but I will go, I will take all your resources. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's like you went, it was like, you're me. That's exactly how I felt. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Well, I do want to ask that, you know, how do we support friends or loved ones who are struggling with trauma and sobriety? You know, 
truly meeting someone where they're at without trying to fix them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're going to feel every sensation in your body to want to save them. And instead, like really listening to them and holding a safe space. Because if one person can hold a safe space for that person, it could be the difference in like them choosing to live or not. Right. Yeah. And no one wants to be saved. Like everyone has the power. And, you know, when we can really be that for someone, then that can change everything. And so often someone who's in it doesn't realize they have trauma. Mm -hmm. That's so true. So true. Yeah. I mean, I would say that 90% of the people that reach out to me, especially like on Facebook and Instagram are like, I'm so attracted to your work, but I don't have trauma. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's hop on a call. (laughs) Like, you know, like fill out an application. And in the first five minutes of our conversation, they're like, oh shit, I do have trauma. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even I, I was, I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I know this happened to me, but it wasn't that big of a deal. It happened 20 years ago. It'll still affect you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we don't remember, you know, I'm, I'm actually about to take a course with Peter Levine, and we were talking a lot about um, birth trauma. Like, we don't have any recollection of that, but it's still in there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Do you have any parting words before we, we um, take off? I mean, well, first of all, I just love this conversation. Oh, me too. Thank (laughs) you so much, Amy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the parting words are like, you know, like, thank you for doing what you do and choosing your life and choosing to, um, to show up in the world the way that you do, because um, it's just, it's beautiful. And it's so nice to feel the expansion of how, how I feel right now from the container that you've created. So thank oh. you. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you. That that is that is so sweet and so encouraging. I I appreciate you and you joining me today for this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, Lorley. Of course. That was Amy Guerrero, trauma-informed coach and founder of Thrive in Recovery. For more on Amy, visit my website at tstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. She also contributed to January's issue of Authentic Insider, which you can find at my website. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list. Uh, to get Authentic Insider Magazine in your inbox monthly. Join me next Thursday when we go live on Fireside with my good friend, Ashley Bernardi. She is the author of Authentic Power. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Take care.